How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean Foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my Crunch Berries. I think you mean my Crunch Berries. Choose your own Crunch Venture with Captain Crunch. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Jackie, do you remember getting mail when you were a kid? Yes, it was the best. I loved getting the mail every day, going to the mailbox at the end of the driveway, and then seeing if there was anything for me. Usually there wasn't. Mail's a little less fun as grown-ups, except for when it's related to this job of ours. Yes, the mail for this show is the best mail. Oh, guys, this is my uh, co-host for today. This is Jackie Sajiko, the producer of The Longest Shortest Time. And a big part of your job is reading the mail now. You know, that childhood thrill is part of what you do now as a grown-up. We could even call you our senior mail correspondent, right? Yeah, or uh, a correspondence correspondent. No, we can't call you that. (laughs) Um, We get so many great stories in the mail. It's way more than we could possibly like put on the show. But we love hearing how the show inspired you, reminded you of something from your own family life, or changed something in your life. Today, we're going to hear some of those stories. And then, as a fun treat to thank you guys for being the best listeners, we're bringing back one of our favorite guests from this season to answer your parenting questions. And he's going to do it in the style of Fred Rogers. That guy loved mail, too. What a coincidence. And if you stay tuned to the very end of the show, we have another special guest. What's up with Hillary? And out of the blue, he started Tapping my bare feet freaked me out. What's up? Okay, Jackie, let's hear about the first letter for today. Okay, first up is a listener in California. Hi, my name is Anna Powell, and I live in Cagle Canyon, which is a little unincorporated canyon community just outside of Los Angeles. My kids are six and three. Anna wrote to us after our episode about the history of sex education came out. That's episode 134, where Hillary talked with Professor Lisa Anderson, who co-wrote a book about the history of sex education. When Anna heard this part, a lot of sex ed for late 19th century young women happened on their wedding day. There was an expectation that husbands would need to teach their wives, um, that wives might not know. And so it was going to be husbands' responsibility to share that information with them, which, I mean, that would be quite a surprise on the wedding night. She thought it sounded really familiar. So my grandmother, she was the fourth of 13 children, so big Irish Catholic family. I don't know how she didn't at any point think to ask or learn how babies were made, but she somehow didn't. And so she told me when I was a little kid that on uh, her wedding night, my grandfather, her husband, had to tell her what sex was because he was like, okay, let's have sex now. And she had no idea what he was talking about, so he explained it to her 
And uh, not only did she not believe him, but she hit him over the head with a frying pan because she was so shocked and offended that he would say this. And uh, they probably did have sex that night. I don't know how he managed after being hit with a frying pan, but he did. And then apparently the next night, he was like, all right, like, let's have sex again. And she was, you know, said, but we, we did that. So she thought that it was some sort of uncomfortable ritual you did once to mark the marriage, and then you were done for life. And she was pretty shocked to hear that it was something she was expected to do more often. Oh, my God. Things have changed so much. Mm-hmm. Did she take him up on it? Did they ever do it again? Uh, yeah, they did. <laughs> so I will say my aunt was born nine months after they got married. So they did. They did figure it out. And then had two more kids and a very happy marriage. Wow. It's crazy to think about how this isn't even that long ago. You know, this is just our grandparents' generation. Well, that was a delight. Who else did you talk to? I also talked to this listener who wrote to us after she heard our episode about step-parents. That's episode 126. I'm Brittany from Atlanta, Georgia. Brittany really loved that episode because it showed a side of step-parents that she saw in her own family. Her biological dad has been out of the picture for years, and for her and her two siblings, their stepdad has always just been dad. One thing about this, Brittany's biological dad is Black, and her stepdad is Mexican. I say I'm step Mexican. <laughs> Brittany didn't come up with the term herself. She remembers a high school classmate coining it. But I don't know that he thought about it as deeply as I tend to, but that's like how I thought of it. It was like, yeah, that's the only, that's really the only way where I can make it clear to people, like, what exactly my connection is. Like, I used to teach um, at a school that was, like, I think it was 90% English learners. Like, it was a huge amount of, of English learners. And I, like, could speak Spanish. And, like, I, I, like, understood them culturally. And I remember my kids being like, why do you know Spanish so well? <laughs> and, like, that's, like, that's how I can explain that. Because there's not really a good explanation otherwise. She didn't just learn Spanish from her stepdad. We always had tamales at Christmas, which is, like, a thing. I mean, I... I honestly only know how to cook Mexican food, which is because my dad was the cook in the family. My mom does not cook. Um, I'm really, really extroverted, and so is he. And it's kind of, like, really lucky that he married my mom because my mom is maybe the most introverted person in the world. Um, And I got to, like, see what it's like to be an extroverted person, so I kind of have that role model. I love the term step Mexican because it's a really nice shorthand that sums up a kind of complicated story. But Brittany's been thinking a lot about that complexity now that she has a kid of her own. She's trying to figure out whether or not she's going to pass on her step Mexican heritage to her son. I really want to raise him to speak some Spanish to to kind of feel like he has that connection a little bit. But I kind of wish that it was just like more clear. Like I could just be like, this is what you are, this is, like, how it is, and that's it. And I know I could in some ways do that, but I also, like, I feel really uncomfortable sometimes because I'm not really Latina. I can say that I'm step Mexican, but I still feel like I'm walking this line that I have to be really careful about because I don't want to claim it for myself just because, like, I happen to be raised a certain way, but I also feel this deep, deep connection. So, like, right now, the most we do is, like, when we read a book, my wife will read it in English, and I'll read it in Spanish to him. Brittany's kid is four months old, so this is something she and her wife are going to keep talking about for a while. I'm so glad that friend of Brittany's in high school came up with the term step Mexican, because <laughs> I could see this really helping other people explain where their family's culture comes from. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. 
Okay, Jackie. Well, now I want to tell you about a listener who I had the joy of chatting with. And I have to say, our show really shook up her life. In a good way? You'll see. I spoke with Sarah Sahagan. She's a Toronto-based writer who listens to our show. And a few months ago, she went with her new boyfriend on a trip to go visit some friends in California. This is our first big trip. And I think for most people, the first vacation is a really big relationship test. You're like, okay, is this viable? Could we live together? Could we live together forever? I don't know. We're going to have to spend two intense weeks together in a hotel room to figure out if we can negotiate this. And that's when episode number 165 showed up in her podcast feed. That's one called 36 Questions to Ask Your Partner Before Having Kids. And she was like, perfect. She went to our website, downloaded the list of questions, and then told her boyfriend, we are doing this. And so far, so good until they got to question number three. Because as you know, question number three is about, I think it's number three, is about baby names and which names you like. Now, out of all the questions on the list, this one appears kind of early because In the design of the survey, I never thought that this could be the one that could cause an issue for a couple. You know, it's meant to be the fun, easy one. But her boyfriend lit up because there is a certain name that he has always wanted to name a kid. Because his last name is Lee. He thinks it would be really funny to name his kid Bruce Wayne Lee. Bruce Wayne Lee. Like, just emphatically, that if we had a son, that would be his name. Bruce Wayne Lee. And... I do not think that's funny. Batman meets karate. Not a good name, right? Like, I don't even think I would name a pet that. It's pretty rough. (laughs) So later on in the trip, they meet up with these friends who they're staying with. And he told them all about this great name for a kid. And weirdly, the friends were super into it. Like the whole trip, everyone kept talking about what a great name this is for a son. And Sarah was not happy about this. And eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just sort of thought about like how badly my child would be teased, how no one would ever call him in for a job interview because his name would be ridiculous, how he could never be on the Supreme Court of Canada, like which is my weird aspiration for my kid, (laughs) that he would like be a Supreme Court justice. Um, And I just sort of thought this would ruin his life. So even though I love my boyfriend, if this is something he's serious about, I can't do it. Like, I actually can't do this to my child. I have to prioritize this hypothetical baby. By the end of the trip, Sarah knew what she had to do. She's going to break up with him. And I just sort of had a little breakdown. The train was late. It was really hot out. There was nowhere to sit. And I just looked at him and I said, listen, I really love you. But if you actually have to name your kid Bruce Wayne Lee, we need to break up right now. Like, I just, I can't do that to my child. Like, I love you, but I just can't make this work. No. Look what we've done, Jackie. I feel so bad. And then the best thing happened, which was he took my hand and he said to me, Sarah, obviously that's a stupid name. He was trolling her that whole trip. And even the friends were in on it. And that's when Sarah knew that This was probably the guy she does want to have a family with. And I realized, like, this is a person who has the same vision for his life as I do. He wants to have a family where we laugh, we joke, we prank each other in good fun. And his sense of humor is just something that I find so attractive. Because having kids is hard. Raising a family is hard. And I think you need someone who can laugh about it. And three weeks later, we were engaged. So I honestly think that the 36 questions was one of the reasons we got engaged. So Sarah, I'm just going to 
if you need my mailing address for any reason, uh, I, I'll send it your way. <laughs> Perfect. So, no, Jackie, I, if you ever want an invite to a wedding in Canada, here's what you got to do. Just drop a hint. And Canadians are so sweet that they will just invite you. That is what I've learned here today. Um, no, seriously, I think you're joking, but I'm going to send you an invitation. I mean, they kind of owe you. We got engaged because of the longest, shortest time. We're getting married because of the longest, shortest time. Uh, I love this story. This is so great to hear. The only thing that would be better than this is if uh, someone listening at home was like, you know what? Bruce Wayne Lee is a great name for a kid. I'm using that. In a bit, we are going to revisit an episode we did at the very start of the season. Is that? Why are you slowly putting on a red cardigan? You know this is radio, right? I don't know. You got to set a tone, right? Because we are about to learn how to speak in the style of Fred Rogers. Don't go away. (laughs) How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. (gasps) It's Jean (laughs) LeFoot. Stole our crunch! Quick, the zip line! He's getting away! Throw our last crunch berry! No! No one steals my crunch berries! I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn. Or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm here with our producer, Jackie Sajiko. Hi. So earlier on the season, Jackie and I worked on an episode. It was number 165 that was all about listener memories from watching Fred Rogers when they were kids and the impact that those memories still have on a lot of us now that we're adults. And we are still getting letters about people's Fred Rogers memories. Yeah, we just got one from a listener named Ellen. She heard Fred say, kids never put a dried bean up your nose. Uh Uh-oh. She realized she'd never thought to try that. So she went downstairs, found a bean, um, put it up her nose. And? Uh, Fred was right. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that, kids. Fred was actually right about a lot of stuff. Along those lines, we recently read about this language called Fredish. This was kind of a joke that Fred's producers made up. They were drinking scotch after hours on the TV set for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I love that. (laughs) I know. I kind of want to hang out with them. So they coined this term Freddish. And Freddish refers to the ways Fred Rogers was kind of obsessive about every word of dialogue when talking to kids. For example, if he was trying to say, it's dangerous to play in the street, he would keep working on that sentence. Like he would flip it to make it more positive. Like, it's important to play where it's safe. And then he would keep working on that sentence and coming up with more ways to make it understandable to a kid until it becomes, your favorite grown-ups can tell you where it's safe to play. It's important to listen to them. And listening is an important part of growing. It was all about seeing things from a kid perspective. So that got us thinking, what if we provided that service? 
So we asked listeners to send in their questions about what they needed help getting translated into Fredish. And lots of you wrote in. So I called up Jin Lei Lee. He's the co-director of the Fred Rogers Center and asked if he would be willing to apply some of his Fred Rogers know-how, a little game of what would Fred Rogers do, and translate these parenting questions into Fredish. Sure, sure. And I'll do my best to just kind of share some of the things that Fred had said in the past. So listener Amy wrote that she would love help explaining that in a few minutes doesn't mean the same thing as never. She says, like, sometimes she just needs to finish what she's doing before she can get to whatever her kid's asking her for. So depending on the age of the child, I know one of the things that it is so difficult for a young child is to understand time. Five minutes may feel like an eternity for a child who doesn't quite have a grasp of time. I can only remember that Fred once took out a clock and said, let's watch it, and this is how long one minute is. And he literally just stopped. There was nothing happening on the scene except this clock going for an entire minute. Let's think of something to do while we're waiting, while we're waiting for something new to do. Let's try to think up a song while we're waiting. But at the same time, again, I don't want to single children now. It's really hard for grown-ups to wait. If grown-ups knows how to wait, we wouldn't be checking our phone every few minutes for a text or for an email. Oh, look, Jackie, I just got a text from Hillary that says it's time to move on to the next question. Wah, wah. Thanks, Hillary. Listener Haley wrote in and said, This week I struggled to explain to my kids why dogs don't live forever. My son is four and understands they die, and we love them while they're with us, but I wasn't prepared to explain the reason for mortality besides... Nobody knows. I just can't imagine anyone would be ready to explain the reason for mortality. (laughs) I think it's a philosophical question that's been around as long as human beings have been around. I think her answer is the kind I think Fred would have thought is to be an honest adult answer, right? I think sometimes an honest answer is just that I don't know. But sometimes Fred would flip the question on the kid and ask them, do you know why dogs don't live forever? If they have a question, they obviously have thought about it and they may have thoughts. And even if they have no answers at the moment, just the fact that we ask them what they thought, I think conveys an idea to the child that we know they're thinking and we'd like to know what they're thinking and we respect their thinking. That may be just a way to keep the conversation open um, so that whenever the child is ready to continue, it will continue. Hmm. So listener Rita wrote to us and said that she has a painful chronic illness and she needs a better way of explaining to her kids why she's always tired and hurting. That's incredibly challenging, I imagine, not just the explaining part, but to be a parent and feel that you couldn't do everything that you want to do with your children. On this, I think back to 
the conversation that Fred had with Jeff Erlinger on that show. I asked Jeff, this is my friend Jeff Erlinger. He's one of my neighbors here. And I asked him if he would come by today because I wanted you to meet Jeff Erlinger appeared on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1981 and showed off his electric wheelchair. He was 10 years old. One of the things that was really neat in that exchange between Fred and Jeff was Jeff said this word, this very complicated word. Anyway, I had surgery earlier this summer because I have pain in my stomach called autonomic dysreflexia. And I just... What was that Autonomic dysreflexia. And Fred just go, what does that mean? And Jeff said... I'm not sure what it means either. I'm not exactly sure what it means. But you sure can say it. Yeah. I just wondered, sometimes having these words itself can be empowering, right? That when when you can't point your finger to something, but if you can say the word. (laughs) So it, it, it kind of actually feels like you have control over something. So... This just shows you have a lot of things happen to you when you're handicapped, most of the time. And sometimes uh, it happens when you're not handicapped. Of course. But you're able to talk about those things. Yeah. So well, and help other people Mm -hmm. who might have the same kinds of things. There's a story of Fred, I think, was talking to a little boy. The little boy either was getting ready to move or had a new sister or something, and he doesn't quite understand all the things he was feeling, and he was explaining all that to Fred. So Fred took a piece of paper and wrote down a word and taught the little boy that word. And the little boy loved the word so much that he held on to that paper for days and weeks after that. And the word was ambivalence. Now, you can imagine, technically, that's probably not an appropriate word for a little kid to understand. But somehow holding on to the word to explain what the little boy couldn't explain to himself was empowering. And the story goes on that the parents, I think, either told Fred or wrote a letter to Fred that says, for weeks on end, uh, the little boy just keeps using the word. Every time you ask him, what does he think? He would say, I'm ambivalent. (laughs) So... And I just think that there's something empowering, even if you feel like you can make things into the smallest child words. Jin Lee, he's the co-director of the Fred Rogers Center and a senior lecturer in early childhood at the Harvard School of Education. In a bit, we're checking in with Hillary Frank. She's here with an exclusive preview of an exciting podcast episode that she's been working on. You do not want to miss this. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. (laughs) 
back to the show. Joining me now is our show's creator, executive producer, Hillary Frank. Hey, Andrea. So what's up? Tell us everything. I'm not telling you until you play the jingle. What's up with Hillary? That's what you say every time we talk. It's getting old. What's up? So I'm finally done with the Weird Parenting Wins book, Andrea. Oh my gosh. It's got all of these wins that our listeners have contributed to the book. How many wins are we talking about? 10, 30, 400 wins. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to read them all. And listeners should know that you actually used to write YA novels. Yeah, yeah. So I used to write these novels for teenagers. And I also like did a lot of radio stories about teenagers. And I taught teenagers a lot in the Chicago public schools. Like teen, teens were my beat. I got to hear some examples of this. So I did a story about a high school senior whose dad kicked him out of his house because he was gay. Um, and he had to figure out how to finish up his senior year, like paying rent and working a job while also going to school. I did a story where I went to a college campus where there were kids in a recovery program, like like they're, they're going to school where they're surrounded by alcohol and they're in this special program to like figure out how to get clean and sober. I did a story about quiet kids. So like after one of the big school shootings, there was a lot of talk in the media about like our quiet kids suspect. And so I did this story that was all just a bunch of quiet kids' voices, like their actual quiet voices talking about why people shouldn't be afraid of quiet kids. Where does your interest in teenagers come from? Teenage years are the time when we change the most as people. You cha- Your body changes and you're trying to figure out who you are. I also think Talking to teenagers is really fascinating because they haven't quite figured out how to censor themselves yet. And so you get like the true essence of who they are. It's a little different when you talk to grownups, like grownups have figured out how to like present the way they want you to see them. And then that led to an idea for our show. Yes. Peter Clowney, who's worked with me on this show for a long time, Peter and I decided Like, it'd be really cool to bring more kids' voices into this show. And we thought, why not give them, like, the authority to give advice to parents? So I remember when you first told me this idea, and one of my questions was, like, what if the teenagers are wrong? What if they give this parenting advice and it's way, way off? What do we do? I think it's fine. I think that's part of the reason it works is like they can be wrong because they're teenagers. They're talking from personal experience. So we're not holding them to this higher standard of like they've done research and they should know what they're talking about. You've always had this idea and we finally made it happen. I was in the studio with the three teenagers and you were in the booth, like fielding calls from parents. It was just, it felt like really active and, and live and fun. Right. It was one of those listening experiences where your cheeks are kind of sore at the end because you've been smiling so much. You know, the kids were really delightful and I felt like I learned a lot. So so should we should we play the people like a little clip, a little, little sneak peek? Yes. This is a, a little teaser that we've put together to give you a sense of what to look forward to next week on our show. Holly in Philadelphia, you're on the line. Hey, so my husband and I have a five-month-old son. We live in a townhouse, and we really want to add a pet to our home and to our family. We're not sure what type of pet to get or what we should name it, and I'd love to hear any of your ideas. I think you should 
go with a dog. I think a yeah. dog is a great pet because they're just full of energy. <laughs> and especially, like, for your kids who are younger, like, they're just going to fall in love with that dog. When they're older, they're going to look back, you know, and everything, look at all the good memories they've had with that dog. I personally like golden retrievers or, like, bigger dogs. So, like, Alberto, you are solidly for a dog. Yeah. <laughs> what is this dog's name, this golden oh. retriever's name? Ooh. If it's a boy, I would name it Jacob. And if it's a girl, uh, Jayla. All right, Quincy. I'm also a dog person. So I'd rather say like a German Shepherd or a Corgi as a German Shepherd name. If it's a boy, Rex. If it's a girl, Lila, because it's just adorable. But like a Corgi, I think like a boy's name would be like Pumpernickel. <laughs> <laughs> and like a girl's name is Passion Fruit. Yeah. I love these names. <laughs> I'm also in support of a dog. <laughs> I really like the idea of um, a pit bull or a beagle. I w- I'm also a fruit, like, fruit naming. Like, I've been thinking, like, pineapple, I think, would be an adorable dog name for either, you know, either one, like, a pit bull named pineapple I would love with all my heart. Holly, is it disappointing to you that they all pick dogs? <laughs> <laughs> So that is our teaser. We're going to leave on this suspenseful note. What will Holly name her pet? What kind of pet will it be? So many questions that people will only find answers to next week when we debut our fun new experiment, this team panel hosted by you, Hillary. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen so you can catch this episode. So speaking of animals, I have an animal. Uh, I have a giant cat. And he, he likes to show up a lot when, when we're doing edits, you know? He starts meowing really loud. But here's the thing. He, he has a new favorite spot. <laughs> Under my desk, I have, like, this rolly cart, you know, that has my printer and my scanner. And there's just, like, a few inches of space underneath the rolly cart. Cat loves to lie underneath it, but I didn't realize that. And out of the blue, he started tapping my bare feet while I was talking to you. (laughs) Freaked me out. He's got some printing to do. Hillary, you need to get off the phone to help him. Yes. (laughs) He's got very important business. All right, that's it for our mailbag show. It's always so amazing when we get emails from listeners telling us how the show reminds them of stories that have happened to them or like inspired them to take action in their lives, keep those emails coming to hello at longestshortesttime.com. Or leave us a comment on this episode. That's episode number 173. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hillary Frank. That's me. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Anything surprising about your kids or about your parents? Tell us everything. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain. 
or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. 